tear-off portion in your bulletin. Please, if you're a visitor, fill that out and put it in the offering plate as it comes around. We have a record of your attendance. And if you have any prayer requests or prayer needs as well, church family, go ahead and write that on there. And we pray for you each week in the church office. Be glad to do that as well. A few announcements I want to call attention to. We have two weeks left until our Luau Youth Barbecue Dinner Theater Fundraiser Extravaganza. It's March 25th. We were selling tickets for $10 for adults, $5 for kids, and we have them in the office. The youth have them. Uh, Youth parents have them. We'll find ways to get tickets to you, Uh, but we have two weeks left, so make sure to plan on attending on March 25th for that, and it does support our mission trip this summer. We're going to Georgia on a mission trip, and it supports our summer camp, so excited about that. Our Annie Armstrong North American Missions Offering We have received $1,223 so far, which is wonderful, and our goal is $5,390, so we still have a ways to go. So if you would like to give to North American Missions Annie Armstrong offering, uh, just mark that and put in the offering plate, and we pray that we will reach our goal. Tonight, the youth are not going to have a youth group at church. We are going to hear Sam Rogers, who is a Hanover High Virginia Tech football player, who is speaking about his faith journey at Hanover High School tonight. Everyone in the community is welcome. So if you want to come at 6 p.m. Hanover High School to listen to Sam and to share uh, in that, you're welcome to join us 6 o'clock tonight. And then my last announcement is April 2nd. Again, reminder, we're rededicating the Family Life Center. We're going to have a meal, I believe, in between the services. Is that correct? Or is no, it after? After, after, after the services. The so we're going to have church as normal and then a meal to follow. So invite you for that on April 2nd. And thank you again for joining us for worship. I didn't get a chance to tell uh, Dwight that uh, we have a guest this morning uh, to bring us greetings from the Dover Association. Bill Corey is here. And so Bill will come and give us greetings from Dover. Thank you for this opportunity. This is my fifth and last year to be working for uh, Dover. I was your neighbor nearby in other days. I served the Northside Baptist Church from uh, 1983 until I retired in 2000. We have, in counting your church, we have 67 churches in Dover. We have three satellites. The satellites are all a part of the Atley Community Church. We used to say that we went as far west as Goochland. Now we have to say we go as far west as Scottsville because that's where one of those satellites are. What I've been emphasizing in recent days, and your pastor will keep you informed about this, we have a big event uh, coming up. It'll be our spring meeting on Sunday, the 23rd of April. That's the week after Easter. Uh, Dr. Steve Nalbrook, who has been our director of missions for 20 years, will be retiring. And so the first hour will be an opportunity for him to speak. Second hour will be a time of reception and fellowship. And I'm sure you all are getting that information, are you not? Okay. Thank you for the opportunity to come and share with you today.
Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and following. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to him, to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are your people and that you have called us to go and you have called us to extend the gospel and to your kingdom to wherever you send us. So God, I pray that we as your church would be willing and receptive to this call. And God, we pray that this day, this service, as we welcome your Holy Spirit, that you would guide and direct each of our hearts as we dwell in your word, as we worship you in song, and as we trust that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God commissions us to go and tell Tell it with gladness, and that's what we're going to sing about this morning. If you would turn to your hymnal, to hymn number 585, would you stand as we sing, Tell It Out with Gladness.
Join with us for our responsive reading uh, in your hymnal in number 712. I will do the lighter portion, and you will together with Brenda do the darkened portion. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. This morning, we just ask God's Holy Spirit to be with our service, to be in our hearts as we are receptive to what he has to uh, have us here this morning. So as we speak and sing about the Holy Spirit, would you turn to hymn number 238, standing as we sing, Breathe on Me. Let's not try. 
Good morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge today that you are the owner and we are only the managers of what you entrust to us. You have created everything, Lord. Help us to live for you each day with an open heart and to be gracious givers of our time, treasures, and all the things that you have given us. As we come to you today giving back a small portion, Father, please take this and bless it, Lord, and multiply it and make it worthy of your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
Shall we pray? Eternal God, creator and giver of every good and every perfect gift. Into your presence we bow on this day that you've given to us with thanksgiving in our hearts. For the salvation that rests in you. For the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ to redeem us. And to set us free from the bondage of sin. We confess, Father, our sins before you. And ask, Father, that you forgive us as we seek forgiveness from you. We are grateful for the power of prayer. And for the gift that it is to us as you have called us to be in prayer, in communion with you. And for this reason, Father, we lift before you those who are ill, those who are shut in, those who are facing difficult days ahead because of illness. We pray, Father, that your will would be done in their lives. That as we give them to you, they might know of the power of prayer even at this moment as you touch their lives with hope and assurance. We also pray, Father, for those of our church family who have lost loved ones even in recent days. The pain of loss and separation are real. And yet we know, Father, that you can bring to those who are grieving comfort in a way that we could never. You bring to them comfort, Father, by the presence of your Spirit. You bring to them comfort by the assurance of hope in the resurrection. And so we give them to you. And pray that you would work and minister to them in their time of grief. We're thankful, Father, that you have given us a story to tell. A message of redemption and of hope. A message, Father, that we are compelled to share. We thank you that your love has redeemed us. And because of your great love for us, may that love be shown to others. As we worship together. But also as we witness in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this community that we serve in. And we pray that you will bless it. We pray, Father, that where there are needs, we might be made aware of them. And we might seek them out. So that we could minister in the name of Jesus. We are grateful for the power of your spirit in our lives. And for the hope that rests in knowing that you are with us always. We're thankful for missionaries for their service around the world. We're grateful, Father, that they go because they have been sent. They go because they have been called. May we walk alongside them with our prayers, and with our gifts. Help us, Father, to give ourselves to you in such a way that we could understand more clearly of your great love shown to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
As we acknowledge the season of Lent, we will be spending some time in the Gospels. As Baptists, we don't necessarily acknowledge Lent because we're not liturgical in that way. But it is the season of Lent and we will um, be mindful of Christ's journey. Uh, and we will celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday, which falls on the 16th of April this year, so the third Sunday in April. Maybe by then it'll be warm again. We're having February and March, aren't we? Um, so um, our scripture this morning is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
the greatest act of missions in the history of the universe was God's act of sending His Son into the world to assume our humanity in the Incarnation. To live a perfect life as He shared the experience of our race, except for our sins. To win and train those who were to carry on His work. And in the end, to die on the cross for our sins. Since He had no sins of His own. In that first post-resurrection appearance to his disciples, he conveyed very clearly the mission they were to assume. As he said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. This is our mission. The disciples were huddled in that house for fear of the Jews. They had not yet received the power that Christ would bestow upon them. And yet in that place and in that time, He still was preparing them for the mission at hand. Now that Jesus no longer would function as the incarnate one sent into the world by the Father, Jesus would send them as the visible continuation of His earthly ministry. Earlier, the disciples had been commanded to love one another as He had loved them. And now they were commissioned to be sent to others as He had been sent to them. Just as Jesus began this ministry by receiving the Holy Spirit, now He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Spirit, Jesus had exercised a ministry of mercy and judgment. Likewise, the disciples would proclaim His word that sifts humans for all eternity. At this initial stage in John, the presence of the Spirit was not yet sufficiently strong to launch a world mission. Indeed, as in the following verses, the disciples could not even convince one of their own, Thomas, that they had seen the Lord. In Acts 2, however, what had begun as a gentle breath now became like the rush of a mighty wind, impelling the disciples to a fearless public witness. A comparison of the two accounts suggests that all Christians receive the Holy Spirit, but all do not cultivate that Spirit until they are given utterance to speak with boldness. Jesus made it very clear in His earthly ministry that if you were to follow Him, it would cost you something. He said, if you were to follow Me, you must take up your cross daily. He was telling us that to be on mission with Him could be, would be a costly endeavor. But by example, He showed us From that point that he fixed his eyes on Jerusalem as we read in Luke chapter 9 of his willingness to go and to die for our sins. But how did Jesus intend for this assigned mission to be carried out? Jesus founded a church. This fact is recorded in the words that he spoke. We also have a record of his work as he went about doing good. And we have his assurance that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
This church is described in the New Testament. Every church should seek to follow the New Testament pattern. The test in any fellowship of believers is how true is its members are to Jesus' teachings, to the example set forth in the New Testament. And John in his epistle made it very clear to us that we will know who the Christians are by their love for one another. He asks us to test the spirits and tells us very plainly that there are those who will go into the world as wolves in sheep's clothing. But he calls us to be faithful and true in his church. Jesus sent this church, his church, on a mission. He gave us a task, a commission. The business of a church is to do the work he assigned. What is our mission as his church? The first and primary thing we must be about is sharing the gospel story with the world. And the world begins outside of these doors. We come here to worship and be discipled and to learn and be challenged by one another. But our mission is clear and sometimes we get away from that mission. And when we do, pettiness and emptiness And strife enter into these doors. It's essential that we forever keep before us the ministry of Jesus Christ. And what he has shared with us to share with the world. The first thing he said to his disciples was peace. And in that peace he also said, I am sending you. He sends us to tell the story. Our mission is to share Christ in the world. In the first verse of his gospel, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John says our mission is to tell the world that all the human mind can know or understand about God is revealed in Jesus Christ. We must learn about God from Jesus. Keep that in mind. Our minds are very small. Now, I'm not getting personal. But our minds, we are very small-minded when it comes to God because we have this tendency to put God in the box that we want God to be in. And we let Him out when we want Him out. And we put Him back in when we want to put Him back in. And we are sometimes duped by our own intelligence or lack thereof Because we try to rationalize what God has done for us. And what God is. And how God operates with his creation. And when we try to rationalize God, we will fall flat every time. We don't defend the gospel. The gospel defends us. During World War II... A father and his small son were walking at night through the residential section of the city. The boy noticed in several windows flags with a blue star and a white background surrounded by a red border. When he asked what this meant, his father replied, and you know, it means that family has a son in the service of his country. When the boy asked about one flag with a gold star, his father explained that family had a son who died in the service of his country. After a moment, the boy looked up through a break in the trees and saw a single star framed in a patch of sky. Look, Daddy, 
God had a son in the service and his star is a gold star. Deeply moved, the father said, yes, son, God did have a son in the service, his only son, and he gave his life too. He did. God's son died for you and me. Josh, Jesus is our message and our only message. And when we come to terms with that reality, then we are ready to move into the world on mission. We have nothing else. Remember the disciples when they would come across those who need to be healed and we saw in Acts very clearly they came upon one and he wanted to be healed and uh, he was begging and they said to him, silver and gold have I none but the one thing I have I give to you, rise and walk. What were they given to him? The Spirit of Christ. Jesus is our only message because he is our substitute. He bore the penalty for our sins in our place. As Peter said of him in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Jesus is our only message because he is our only means of reconciliation. In his second letter, Paul tells the Corinthians in chapter 5 verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Paul is saying, do you see that man writhing in agony on the cross? It is God experiencing that pain and he is bearing it for you and for me. Jesus is our only message because he is the only way. He is the single way of pardon from our sins. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And during this season of the year, as we make our way towards Easter, let us never forget those words of Jesus. He made it very clear. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. We must understand that those are his words, not ours. And so when the world turns on us and says, Oh, but there's got to be another way. There should be another way. It only makes sense that there's another way. Well, it may make sense to us, but it does not make sense to God. Because it cost him. It cost him his son. So that we could find our way to him. Our mission is to uncover and denounce sin before the world. We are to pull the mask off sin and show it before the world for what it is. An ugly, deadly thing. But if we are going to do that, we need to make sure that we understand what sin is. At the close of a sermon on Sunday morning, one of the members of the church came forward at the invitation. He was noticeably disturbed and moved by his conviction of sin in his life. With tears flowing and a halt in his voice, he took the pastor's hand and meant to tell him that his life was full of sin. But what came out was, my sin is full of life. As soon as he had spoken, he realized his mistake and changed it. But in reality, his first statement was the real reason for the second. His sin was full of life, and that is why his life was full of sin. Many false ideas about sin have been introduced in our day, and many of those false ideas, I'm afraid, are perpetuated many times in the church. 
we come here sometimes and reinforce our own prejudices against others. We come here sometimes with what we think is noble and is right, and we fail to recognize that Jesus Christ may have another way. By some, sin is defined as maladjustment. An irrelevant mistake made along the way. Leave it alone, the world says, and it will be forgotten in time. But the other side of that is sometimes people's sins are put before the world and they are never forgiven. And they're always brought up and people are always reminded. But as the experience of thousands shows, it's not true that sin can be left alone. Some say sin is not real at all, but only the error of the mortal mind. Others preach that we do sin, but that in the world beyond death we will be given another chance. And in the the end, none will be lost. But regardless of what false doctrines may be taught about sin, we have no choice. We must come to terms with it. These past few weeks as we studied the book of Malachi, that was something that was lacking in the lives of the people that Malachi was ministering to. They had not come to terms with the reality of their sin. They had not come to terms with the fact that they were going through the motions and weren't really repentant. Sin is a destroyer. Sin destroys hearts and homes. Sin ruins friendships, churches, bodies and minds, even our own immortal souls. Sin shatters relationships, most tragically our relationship to God. Until we repent and seek forgiveness from God, this most vital of relationships cannot be restored. Reconciliation cannot occur. Sin destroys. And we have a world filled with people who have been destroyed by sin. All we have to do is read the headlines, listen to the headlines of the day and recognize how sin destroys lives. Sin is always worse than we thought it would be as we contemplated it. When Joseph's brothers stripped him of his coat of many colors and sold him into slavery in Egypt, they got into much more trouble than they ever imagined. For one, their aged father grieved Grief caused them much worry. They had not realized beforehand how great his anguish would be. The writer of Genesis tells us all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, morning will I go down to the grave to be with my son. Joseph's brothers also felt the guilt of their own consciences as a test to see if his brothers were the same hateful, hardened men. Joseph had Simeon bound before their eyes to be held until they returned with their youngest brother, Benjamin. The brothers said, we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he, when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. That was conscience speaking. They had sinned against their brother and against God. And now they were paying the price all these years later. Judas's sin 
was worse than he thought it would be. The stark horror of what he had done rose up to confront him. He couldn't handle the guilt, so he took his own life. Everyone who rejects Christ will one day realize the seriousness of his or her sin. Sin cannot be dealt with by human means. Sin cannot be escaped. Our sin will find us out. Numbers 32, 23 reminds us. And sin cannot be hidden. Its consequences will not just go away. Do not be deceived, Paul tells the Galatians. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Sin, once done, cannot be undone. It can only be confessed and forgiven. And it's our responsibilities as followers of Jesus Christ to explain this fact to the world. But be ready. People don't want to hear that, do they? No one wants to be called out. For their sin. No one wants someone else to stand in judgment of their wrongdoings. It started a long time ago, didn't it? Remember Adam when he was confronted by God? What was his excuse? This woman you gave to me, she gave this to me to eat. And from that time on, we have passed the responsibility of our sins to anyone we could find to blame. Sin can be overcome, blotted out, its stain removed only by God's power. God hates sin and only God can forgive sin, blot it out and remove it as far as the east is from the west. Our mission is to share this knowledge with the world. People live with guilt that they need not live with because they have never been given the opportunity to release that guilt through repentance and faith in God. Our mission is to define salvation for the world. We are to preach that Jesus saves. Every Christian should do this by every means available. This is the good news that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Salvation is by grace. By grace you have been saved. This simply means that salvation is God's gift and unmerited favor. A certain minister once preached a rather lengthy sermon. For 20 minutes he expounded salvation by grace. At the halfway point he began to expound what sounded like sinless perfection doctrine. Do this, do that, and the other, he said, lest you fail. Don't do this. Or lest you lose your salvation. He preached for 40 minutes. 20 on salvation by grace. And 20 on being kept saved by good works. This is a hopeless contradiction. Salvation is by grace. Grace alone. Always remember that. People live frustrated also because they think there is something that they can do to save themselves. But we are as helpless as a person who has had a heart issue and is waiting on someone to use an external defibrillator on them. We cannot save ourselves. That's why God saves us through Christ. 
And this salvation by grace is through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. Faith is the channel that makes His salvation possible. Even the power to exercise faith unto salvation is the gift of God. Paul asked the Corinthians, What do you have that you did not receive? Salvation is also upon the condition of repentance. We look deeply at repentance in Malachi. Logically, we can conceive a repentance and faith separately. Thus conceived, repentance comes first. But chronologically, they occur in a person's life simultaneously. This must be true, else we might have a sinner who has truly repented, but who has not exercised faith in Christ. On the other hand, a believer who had not repented, and neither is possible. We are saved by faith through grace When we repent. Salvation is manifested in regeneration or the new birth. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old age has gone, the new has come. It's important for us to realize the message that we have is true. The message that we have has the power to save. And we are called to share that message. Some have made light of the doctrine of the new birth as outdated. Even Nicodemus had questions. How is it that I can be born again? During a religious gathering in Minneapolis many years ago, a minister who had been pastor of a church for 50 years, told the group that every year for 50 years he had preached a sermon on the new birth. Now he said, I will never preach it again. It is outmoded nonsense. The audience applauded. But one member of the audience stood up and said, I'm an ignorant man. I know no Christian doctrine, but I do know that at my home, God changed wine into water, whiskey into furniture, hate into love, and a hopeless drunk into a sober man. God changed me. And that's the message of the cross. God has the power to change us. This past Friday, I was in a meeting with the chaplains from across the county for the sheriff's office. And, of course, we look at uh, crime statistics and things that happen and all of the difficulties that we may face. And uh, relatively speaking, if you look at us in the greater metro area, we live in a pretty safe area, safe communities. But the conversation, of course, uh, with a bunch of ministers, you know, it's going to run off in certain directions at certain times, and it did there. And someone brought up this point, and I've heard this before, and so have you. Why is it that people take their children to church? They're only being brainwashed. And the response that another gave was spot on. And it's true. If we don't do our job, somebody... We'll brainwash your children. Somebody will tell them what they want them to know. And what they want them to know is not the truth. Because the truth in Jesus Christ has the power to set us free.
We are to go and tell in the mountains, in the valleys, in the plains. But you know where it begins? In our homes and in our community. Shall we pray? Gracious Lord, as we come into your presence, we are grateful for the power of the forgiveness that comes to us through the resurrection and through your death on the cross. Help us, Father, to take seriously the mission that is before us, for you have shown us the way of peace, the way of Christ. May we share that message so that others might have the opportunity we have had to repent and to receive your grace by faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our invitation hymn is number 591, Hark the Voice of Jesus Calling. We listen for the voice of Jesus. The disciples were listening in the upper room. The disciples were listening in the house where they found themselves after the resurrection. The question is, are we listening? And if we are, are we walking in the spirit of Christ? Will you stand as we sing?
Thank you for being here in your body. It feels like you're here an hour early, I know. Uh, I'm grateful that we uh, had this time together. We did have 103 in the first service. I was surprised that we uh, went over the 100 mark, considering the time did change. But it did, and we are here, and I'm grateful that you're here. And again, I'm grateful that the snow went south. They're getting snow in all of all places, Charlotte, North Carolina. But here in Richmond, the sun is out, and it's cold. Uh, I'm grateful, again, that you've been a part of this service. I've asked uh, Bill to lead us in our benediction. other people say good lord it's morning so it looks like you knew what's one to say may we close in prayer father as we turn our eyes upon uh, jesus death and burial and resurrection which we celebrate each lord's day we thank you for this message that has challenged us to be faithful in sharing with others what you mean to us as you dismiss us help us to Look for opportunities to 